Hi, and welcome everybody to another edition of The Safety View. We've got a great conversation happening today. We've got Dr. Lisa Landy, and she's gonna be walking us through the idea of mental health and how does it really impact health and safety in our organizations. But before we get started today, in the spirit of mental health, we're gonna have Rosa walk us through a little bit of a mindfulness exercise that we can actually bring to our teams in our organization. So I'll hand it over to you, Rosa, to lead us through that. Thank you. Thank you. I have been starting my classes on relationship building with a short meditation and it has been really helpful to get everybody's thinking about what we're talking about as opposed to the uh, challenges they're facing at home or at work or the political uh, turmoil that's going on. So you can use, uh, I, uh, quite a few leaders uh, use this in their practices. Uh, it's a matter of knowing within yourself that this is going to work and that this is going to be helpful because if you have self-doubt and you don't feel comfortable doing it, then of course, it's not gonna work. I should know because I was one of those people. And uh, so through personal meditation practice and also by using it with my uh, client groups, I have come to have uh, a very deep level of confidence in the process of coming into this present moment, bringing our attention into this moment and as we know, attention is critical to listening. We cannot listen unless we're present and focused. So uh, we always begin in the process. You may close your eyes or simply lower them to the floor to look at the floor. And we always start with breathing, deep breath in, all the way into the belly and out. Just do three very deep breaths at your own pace, noticing the breath going in and out. The breath reminds us that we are alive and our lungs are always working for us. always supporting us. And now move your attention to your feet and take the breath into your feet so that you're feeling your feet. Hopefully they're flat on the ground. Move the attention up the ankles, to the knees, the thighs, just notice the feeling in your legs, the back of the legs. Most of us are sitting, so we will feel our buttocks on the seat, feel that. And as you take a deep breath in and exhale, let all the weight of your body fall onto the chair. So in, let go. Notice that your shoulders are dropping, relaxing. And as you do this more often, 
It almost becomes automatic as soon as you sit in your chair and you start with the breathing, your shoulders start to relax and that prevents a lot of neck problems, back problems, because we, we tend to stiffen up under stress as if we were carrying like Atlas carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. So important to spend a little time giving your body some love. After all, your body is there working hard all of the time. So now move your attention up to your jaw, another place of tension, breathe in. And again, you will let go of any tension in your jaw. All right, and go up to your eyes. Notice your eyes, your eyebrows, your scalp. And feel your scalp relaxing. Excellent. And now I will keep the time for us. We will go into the silence. And as we go into the silence, the thoughts will keep coming in. We can't stop the thoughts. They're always there. But I want you to become an observer and observe the thoughts. Just observe them come and go like a third party observer. You just watch them. They come in and they go out and we'll practice that for a minute because this is the um, essence of meditation is to not let our thoughts dominate how we feel. We are the masters of our own emotions and feelings, but we let the thoughts come in and disturb us, bringing fear or worry or anxiety. And so we need to learn how to say, yes, I have this feeling and now I'm letting it go. So one minute of silence and practice Observing and letting go.
one word from each person, just say like, I'm Rosa and I am feeling calm. I'm Lisa and I'm feeling very relaxed right now. Jim, I'm feeling empowered. I'm Nadia and I, I feel calm. Centered. I'm Tanya and I'm feeling rested. Yeah, I'm feeling well. I am Robin and I feel whole. Thank you very much. And so the meditation, uh, one of the purposes of the meditation, of course, is mindfulness and presence to be present, which are uh, elements of leadership that are extremely important and difficult to teach directly. We can only help people experience it. So through experience, they gain this. Uh, and so now you are aware of how you feel. So you notice all of these words already, we are, um, we're, we're aware of how people feel in our session. And that really calms me down as a presenter. What about you, Lisa? I'll turn it over to you. One of the things that Rosa and Tamara and I have talked a lot about is um, how sometimes fear and discomfort and stress can serve us. Yet when it becomes too much and we become unbalanced and somebody had talked about being whole and balanced, it's the out of balance part that makes us feel crazy or unhealthy. And I'm gonna start because I'm, uh, if you know me at all, I tend to go tangential a lot. And I'm a very cerebral person and I'm all about, um, you know, linkages and big picture. And so what helps me kind of find balance when things are chaotic is to ground with, with uh, details and some boundaries, right? Because that can help me feel safe. So um, even though we don't use slides very often here, it's going to just help me take you uh, for 10 minutes with me while I, hopefully stimulate um, some thoughts for this conversation. Uh, so when I um, began as an industrial organizational psychologist working with Fortune 100 and 500 companies out of Manhattan, um, safety and anyone who talked about safety was something that happened in a certain department in an organization that had absolutely nothing to do with me as a psychologist and helping leaders. And we're talking late, 1990s. Um, we were rich as a country. We had a lot of money. I was being flown first class all over the world. And uh, safety was about technology. It's what was associated with technology. Uh, then 9-11 happened and I was living in Puerto Rico at the time. And uh, some of you have heard this story. I was coming in to work on 9-12 at the Port Authority in Tower 2. And um, obviously that meeting never happened. And luckily those customers got out of tower two just fine. But my new colleagues at Aon who were in tower one and above the 96th floor, I never got to meet those people. And safety became real. And safety became more than technology to me. Uh, safety became something really visceral and, and very emotional. 
And that was the beginning of when I recognized, and here I am a trained psychologist and it helped dysfunctional families initially, and now companies become more functional and healthy. And it never really dawned on me how those two, the physical and the emotional intersect, um, you know, so much when we think about safety. And I'm amazed that even today, uh, and this is another kind of, if you will, dark blessing of COVID, I think it has really raised the awareness of every worker, every citizen, that, it, that safety isn't just about our physical well-being. It's not just about how those bottles are labeled. It's also about how, how grounded we feel, how engaged we feel, how supported we feel, uh, how connected we are. And again, 9-11 really brought that home. So anyway, this combination of physical and psychological safety made me realize that safety was much broader. And I see Jim Marinas is on the call and Jim and I have done a lot through the Department of Energy and specifically with LANL in trying to integrate those and make the workers aware that there are these two dimensions of safety. And then it's dawned on me, and, and I'm sure all of you and the rest of the world, that, that safety equates to health and wellness. And I actually didn't put this in, but the image, and you all know it, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the bottom, he talks about basic kind of food and shelter. And then he goes up to kind of connection and, and relationships. And I honestly think those belong on the same platform. I think that that emotional and physical well-being are so integrated from the moment we're born. Um, it, it carries through. And I think, yeah, we can talk about them as if they're separate entities, but they are so integrated. And so how are we as professionals in the safety world doing our best to really facilitate that sense of health and well-being and safety in this comprehensive way? I'm telling you, this is carpe diem for the health professional, because if we can't take advantage in the healthiest meaning of the word of an environment where people are so healthily vulnerable to recognizing that safety is comprehensive, this is the moment. And I think most of you know how the brain functions, just basic kind of physiology. And Gary Wong is here, who, who also is a cognitive, I think psychologist, but definitely a scientist. You know, cognitions come from the brain and the interface between our emotional amygdala brain, which primitively was probably, and I know I can find the data that supports, it was much more comprehensive because we had to re react from those emotional places. And the frontal, the prefrontal was smaller. It was not as well developed. And interestingly, as we've gotten to feel more safe physically, it's somewhat correlated with a minimization of the emotional part of safety. And so I think we have this weird opportunity to recognize that well-being comes from the balance of these two working together, that the emotions feed the way we think and our thoughts in turn come back around 
to interface with the emotion. And if we're conscious of that, as Rosa just led us through this kind of um, meditation activity, we learn to recognize as tomorrow can feel the tension and the stress that our physical and our emotional actually correspond as one. Um, so, you know, the safety two and the safety differently movement um, have talked a lot about the, the resilience aspect of safety and our adaptive capacity. And resilience is really a, a system related factor of how much shock and stress a system can take before it has to change its functioning, right? And adaptive capacity is, is how much resource, if you will, we have to actually, again, deal with that stress. So where I wanna now start the conversation and not just be the only expert here, right? Because I'm only coming from my lens, um, is expanding that adaptive capacity. How are we helping as safety professionals build the capacity so when the stresses are great, that people can find that balance? What compensates for the stress? What, what feeds us? as we learn to resile in the face of it, right? To make us stronger because building resilience itself is an adaptive capacity, if you will. So with that said, I'm gonna get off of the share if I can um, and bring us back. So are you guys off my screen now? We're good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Far out. Yeah. And I just want to kind of open it up, you know, I'll of course chime in as a psychologist with both industrial organizational for 15 more, probably 25 years and also clinical work for 10. Um, I will definitely chime in, but how do we build that capacity? How are we helping people manage their mental health, which is different from mental illness. Not that stressors can't take us into mental illness, but we're talking about um, mental health and how we find that balance in these times of great stress and great VUCA. I was doing some research around this as well. And um, in the National Standards of Canada for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace, they actually identified 13 factors that greatly influence um, this area of people. So I'm gonna share that in a chat so that people can also kind of look through that, that list and, and kind of reflect and think about how they might be seeing the, this play out in their organization in different scenarios that they might be coming across day to day over the years. Thank you. And thanks to one thing, sorry, Rose, I'll turn it over to you. I got some great articles from David Broadbent and he just, it's a fabulous article on mental health and finding it in this time of COVID. So I'll make sure that it's available to everyone. Rose, I'm sorry, please. No, no, please. no worries. Um, this is, uh, and, and anyone else that wants to say anything, please uh, jump in, just uh, raise your hand and we know that it's your turn <laughs> to talk, but because we like these to be conversations, <clears throat> not uh, lectures, right? And Lisa, yeah. thank you for that brilliant presentation. You really bring a whole level of knowledge to, to that subject matter. 
Um, but what, you know, the thing is like, I was on a long thread on LinkedIn and I, I, we, I was talking about uh, mental wellness, mental health and Dominic Cooper, who's a behaviorist said that that was not the, an area where a safety professional need go because that's the responsibility of HR. Wow. Uh, and so I just thought, oh, wow, that's one of the other divides that exists uh, between in the safety profession is the group that does feel that we can have some impact on well-being. And then the group that says, well, no, that's not that's not where I can intervene. And, uh, and so I just wanted to build on that, Rosa, yes, uh -huh. is that why in, 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 in where we are in our maturity curve as a modern society, and we know that we need to be looking at things holistically. This is a discussion that's been repeated. I'm not going to have it again. So my question is, is that why are we trying to still silo human connectedness in this way you know well, tomorrow i'd really i'd rather interestingly look at what can go right as opposed to how we've gone wrong and i'm not trying to look at what going wrong i'm just saying that it's interesting that this is another influencer out there and and still there's that mentality of siloing and telling yeah. the safety professional you don't have to worry about looking at something you're not necessarily comfortable at. It's right. okay to sh put it under the carpet. But yet we have other conversations saying, we've got to get away from siloing, siloed thinking, we've got to be more um, holistic. So I'd like to hear what other people are thinking on that. <clears throat> I've run into the same sort of a thing where when I talk to the safety people, they get a lot of them, you know, like at ASSP meetings, it doesn't even come into their sense of what's going on. And it seems like it's out of the way. Yet we keep, there are lots of people working on safety all in their silos, but we keep killing about 5,200 people a year in our country. And that doesn't hasn't gotten better over the last eight or nine years. And I think as a group, we're walk, sleepwalking. We are very much comfortable in our combat. I resist change. Rosa tells me to do something. I push back. I can resist. We can argue. We can bring up all kinds of things and reasons to keep doing the same old, same old, which is comfortable. And we you need to wake up everybody and it's a little bit like a book I just read which used the story of the sleeping beauty and the princess had to have a prince come to wake her up well when I got wakened up it was a fire in my plant that was the prince that came to me and said what you're doing is wrong you've got to do it better and going back I think uh, Tamara mentioned, <clears throat> we have to look at the whole picture. If we look at it and break up the parts, we can sub-optimize the parts, but the whole then does not work well. And we can bring it together. And when we do, and really engage the people and share information, and one of the critical things about 
organization where there is psychological safety is that people will share information. They will talk about what's going on. They'll be looking out for each other. They'll be helping each other. They'll be thinking together and improving together. So psychological safety is extraordinarily important to open that environment where the information will flow and we can grow and learn together. But without that, everybody goes back into their sleepwalking mode. Same old, same old. <clears throat> One of the things I recently noticed, which is a little off the track here, when I was a plant manager and we cut our injury rates 97% and emissions to the environment by 95%, one of the things I realized was that we brought the process safety together with all the occupational safety and health stuff, not separate. However, when I go to an ASSP meeting, I rarely hear anyone talking about process safety. And at AICHE meetings, I rarely hear anyone talking about slips, trips, and falls. Everybody's in their compartment and they feel good about their little compartment. It's nice and safe. And when we open it up, it can feel risky, but it doesn't have to be if we have a place where it's safe enough to talk together and listen and learn together. Right. These are the things that I find are so powerful in the helping the organizations to get better and the people to quit hurting themselves. And when people learn to talk, change can happen very, very rapidly. I was working in a big sugar mill in Australia. They were processing 25,000 tons a day of sugar cane. Had 350 men, about 30 in serious injuries a year and killing somebody every 12 to 18 months. And the attitude was, well, bad stuff happens. After getting together and talking and opening up and helping the, with the manager to create this psychological safety, their injury rate went to zero. In a state at zero for the next nine months because they all decided they didn't have to keep doing the dumb stuff that they were doing, like standing on railings and all that kind of, you know, thoughtless type of behavior. So the psychological safety enables us to talk together, to listen together, to help each other, to see each other as people, to know that when I'm coming to work one day and I'm not quite right, somebody says, hey, what's cooking? Is, is it your problem? Do you need something? All those kind of things need to happen. We got to stop the doggone harassing and bullying. And over half the organizations in the country have bully problems. Mm -hmm. Yet when I went to talk to the Chamber of Commerce in St. Petersburg, Florida, who have about 5,000 members, well, we don't have any problems with bullying here. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's willing to share. It's all kind of a, a big secret. Uh, and it's a shame. And sometimes it's subtle, isn't it, Richard? Pardon sometimes me? we're very we're very subtle in the way we undermine each other. And mm -hmm. if we talk about systems, what in our current organizational system reinforces competition among employees? Performance management. It's the agreements they all make together about how they're going to behave. And this can be. Right. Overt agreements, or they can be very subtle. Subtle, right. Yeah. It can be so, both. Well, I saw Tanya had shared some stuff in the chat, so I wanted to kind of invite her also to, to share her thoughts, because you went and you actually researched some stuff on this for us, Tanya. It's amazing. We love you, Tanya. <laughs> oh, look at that. The response. She likes being loved. Actually, I was going to share a story. Um, I mean, I... 
I've actually kind of benefited from all of the free resources that this pandemic has offered mm-hmm. us, you know, like That's I've, incredible. I've kind of taken advantage probably more than my share, but you know, I have, I have a whole collection of lots of information as a result. So one story, um, this is, which is pertinent to this. Alan Mulally um, is a leader that nobody knows. And that's because he was an excellent leader because we don't recognize excellence in the, in our society. We just don't, we don't recognize true leadership. We recognize kind of the, the dysfunctional leadership that, that the names that we know are the ones who likely are there for the wrong reasons. So that's one thing. Alan Mulally um, was uh, in charge of Ford uh, just at the time of the 2008 crisis. And I didn't realize that Ford didn't ask for government sponsorship under his leadership. So when he inherited Ford, of course, there was tons of media around this because Ford was not doing well. And, you know, so, oh, here's the guy who's going to save Ford. He talked about, at a conference that I went to, he talked about, he's retired now, he talked about one of his early meetings having an international, you know, um, looking over your, um, your key performance indicators meeting. All sorts of people on conference call, like a big meeting. And he looked at the indicators and everything was perfect. But he knew that they, in his words, were hemorrhaging money. So, you know, and he go around, so how is your plant doing? How's your plant doing? How's your, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And he said, okay, somebody has to explain this to me because we are losing money every week at a rate that we're going to go bankrupt shortly. Like somebody has to, we can't all be perfect. And he credits one guy from Oshawa, Ontario. Yeah, this is over months, months and months and months. Oshawa, Ontario, very tentatively put up his hand and said, well, actually, we're not going to make our our delivery date um, for one of the trucks. He said you could have seen the, you know, the temperature in the room change to be ice cold. And that, you find it, had a fire outside. That guy said that they were going to open the door and kill him like it was just obvious to him that everybody around was like oh my god you don't get it do you you can't talk like that you can't you can't say that and so over time um that guy ended up sitting beside him at these meetings and this was like holy crap what the hell is going on like what He's an enemy. Like he said something wrong. Like how the hell is he sitting beside, you know, the CEO? And eventually he got, you know, well, we can't release that product because you know, we, we're missing a, a critical part for the hitch on the truck, you know, and, and we just, we can't, we can't release the thing. One of the other plants said, oh, well, we have that part. You know, we could, mm-hmm. we could ship you that. And for the first time, he started to get them to realize that they were one company. 
They were not in, are not in competition with one another. They all worked for the same organization and they had to, he had to kill this competitive spirit that had forever been in that company. Now that you did a lot of things, including walking people after, after an executive meeting, walking behind somebody who didn't act appropriately at an executive meeting, walking behind them to their office. He had a full calendar, he's a CEO. He would walk behind them, go into their office and said, we're gonna talk about what, what just happened at that meeting. And he would spend whatever it took. And there were people who didn't like this approach and that was fine. You don't have to work here. And that's, that's how he started to work on the, the way that Ford was operating. Tell me Some that people, behavior doesn't influence change in systems. That's, that's I, I, behavior. I, I, yeah, Tanya, and I think you struck something there on, you know, I often hear people say, well, it starts at the top. You know, the, the values and beliefs start at the top. And when employees who are more on the work floor see the executives behaving in an inappropriate way, it doesn't give us people to want to follow. And so, you know, maybe there's a question about the quality of those going into that leadership, those leadership positions, because what you spoke about, about that silence people that coldness in the room has anybody else in the group also come ever across that i'd be interested I did, yeah i did many a times i worked in dupont big dysfunctional organization it's not the same now it's a different company but there was always that kind of stuff and if you take a look at a recent example general electric's in a heck of a lot of trouble because the culture was set under the previous top people Everybody had to be nice and everybody had to say nice things and nobody could talk about the problems. And so they were all swept under the carpet and the company went further and further into trouble. GE's had a terrible time with that. It happens everywhere. If we don't share the information and we don't help each other, we, what yeah. we're doing is using up the capital in the organization and you can't, it's not infinitely abundant. It, people have to um, see Richard, it. let me ask you because you, I mean, we're lucky to have you here because you um, were a plant manager. So you actually had authority, which is very different from a safety professional. Okay. Right. Uh, th there's this whole dynamic uh, that we can start focusing on the people at the top or, you know, or what the management team is or isn't doing. But the question is here that we are to discuss is I, my understanding is what, how can we uh, intervene and be helpful in this situation? Okay. And I would like to propose that it starts with me uh, and how, how is my mental health and how am I impacting you know, my immediate circle around me that I'm working with? Uh, and then through that, how can I help other people you know, come to that understanding or awareness uh, because we don't have authority we only have influence so i'd like to hear like from from folks about how you feel 
uh, about about that situation. I mean, we do not have the authority. We're not, we're not ever gonna be able to go up to the CEO and say, this is how you should run a meeting. Well, maybe you will, I don't know, I shouldn't say that. But uh, it would be difficult to go up to the CEO and tell them that wonderful story and then have them respond to it. So Rosa, so I'm going, before, before we turn it over, I just wanna say, um, what you're talking about is recognizing that each one of us are leaders and we're followers, right? We, we all play those roles and we're managers and we're leaders. We manage and lead every day of our lives, regardless of our formal position. So are you, and then I'm not only asking you, I'm asking the group. Yeah, the group. Does this mean that mental health is then associated with our ability, our individual ability to feel we can make authentic contributions and be valued within the workplace. And how do we make that happen? Jerry? Yeah, okay. First of all, can, is it okay if, is the word mental health and well-being synonymous? We're trying not to use word mental health because a lot of people all of a sudden start thinking of mental illness and it kind of takes you to a bad spot. Right on. We're trying to think well-being as opposed to sickness. And that's just semantics right now, but I'm trying to mm -hmm. go there. That's why um, it wasn't in my presentation. Exactly, Gary. Yes, right. So I'm listening to the stories that have been shared. And I, on the chat, I did put up a little um, graphic. It's a well-being in Kinevin. And some of you may or may not know Kinevin, and I don't want to push Kinevin, but it's in that new book that we wrote. This is actually from the chapter about well-being Kinevin. Um, do you want to put this on the screen so everybody should see? Is that, is that yeah, do it, Gary. Let's oh, see Let it. me just yeah. do that here. Uh, let me just, okay, so let me just share that. Is that okay? Everybody mm -hmm. see that? Cool, we see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let me just open this. Really <clears throat> okay. So again, I don't want to go through it because I'm looking at the time here, but I'm hearing what the different things we did. Like for example, in the, at the beginning, Rosa's kind of took it through a bit of a mindfulness and stress relieving. And all these things on here are really good. We just got to know where they make sense. It belongs to what we call a career domain because that's the individual, I can do this. And I think that's the message you gave us, Rosa. We can each do that anytime we need to to work on it here. Then I, heard, I watched Lisa and she talked about all these different programs that are kind of out there. We kind of say, well, these are in the complicated domain because they do focus on the individual, but we also know too that there are systems tied to it here. So the place that we're trying to go to, and it's really confirmed by the stories that, that, uh, that, that Dick shared, it's about story collecting here and understanding of what the hell is happening on the workplace floor here. That takes into the complex domain because if you get people that are reductionist and they want to compartmentalize, put people in silos here, we're saying you can't do that. <laughs> Everything is entangled. And to try to take things apart here, it's just trying to like trying to break down meanings. You just can't do it here. So the best thing for us to do is collect those stories. And I just looked at um, the uh, URL that, uh, that Tanya provided on the video facilitator's guide. Mm -hmm. And it's all about tell a story. So there you are. I mean, so that guide there is saying, 
we need to be, collect these stories and then kind of make sense of what's really happening on the floor today. And then that really informs the decision makers of what sort of programs do we require to go forward here. I'm, I'm less concerned about having the individual programs. I'm more about looking at the system as a whole and what can we change? And going back to what you said, Lisa, maybe is as, as you note there, it is the performance management system. It's the way people are, are promoted here. It's the stresses that the environment are creating cognitive overload, bullying, as, as Dick kind of said. These are all prevalent here. So if we can collect the stories here and allow these things to emerge here, then I think decision makers will be more informed in how to put in the right policies and standards going forward. Are you saying that we would collect the stories and share them with management, that that would have an impact? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's really about um, self-awareness, -disco self discovering self-awareness here. Because you're right, we, all that we can do Rosa, as professionals is influence. I'd rather, much rather say, here is a map of all the stories that we've heard here. This is, this is your culture, if you like here. What do you guys want to do about it? And when we do that here, you get a lot of, oh my God, I didn't realize we had X, Y, Z here. Let me, wow, I didn't realize we had a story. It's just not one bullying story. We've got a, oh my God, what are we going to do about it? That's the best thing we can do is put it in front of them. Mm. I don't think we need to come with recommendations, whatever. We may come with nudges, but let them first of all, become self-aware that they actually have a problem that needs, needs some fixing. And sometimes, though, they know that they have a problem that needs to be fixed. However, they don't want to, they're in denial, or I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's a, it's and they try to, they, they, they systematically try to close things out. And I was in a company where when I started at the company, it was 50 people. They had a lot of great um, programs for wellness for the employees, yoga, a lot of different games stuff. And then, and, and part of the, the understanding was between lunchtime, 12 and two, people could have the option to um, self-care. But then as the company grew and people came in in leadership with a different mindset from different other companies, they started actually booking meetings dur during that 12 to two eliminating people's capability of self-care if they wanted to. So I'm going to push back about everybody has power because that's not the truth in an organization. Everybody does not have the same power and Choice leadership can ma manipulate if they want to also. Well, then they the don't have to stay there. I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that either. Yeah. Well, that's a different conversation yeah. that we're not going to have today because that's yeah, a bigger issue. Yeah. But this well, is no, the power of stories. People having power. I think okay. everyone does. Gary, yeah. what were you saying? Richard was Richard. also having his hand up, Lisa. Gary, did you have something to finish before we turn it to Richard? Yeah, I'm just saying with, with the power of stories, particularly collected um, anonymously, people actually can have an authentic voice. The thing is, is, it's not actually collecting the stories, it's getting the decision makers to listen to the stories. Mm -hmm. That's the real key. Thank you, Richard. I think we can make this terribly complicated if we're not careful. 
the approach I took was I would walk out into the plant and I spent five hours a day for five years. The plant was a mile long and a third of a mile wide. Sit down with the people in their workplace, have a cup of coffee. How you doing? What can I do to help you? What's going on? What are we learning together? Sometimes we'd argue, sometimes we'd hug, but was out there all the time engaging with the people, helping them to see they could make a difference. And safety people can do that as well. And safety people have something that's unique that many do not have. Most of you have access to the whole organization. You're not stuck in a silo. In safety, you're out looking at the work. So you're all over the place and you can be in it. You can be influencing just the way I was, sitting down and talking with the people, helping them to see, yeah, they can do it. They can make a difference. And you can begin to do more. And then maybe you invite the boss to come with you on a walk and sit down and talk with people and, and begin to move it that way. But safety people, I think, underrate the amount of influence they can have. And part of it is they're all stuck in their office doing all the doggone reports and stuff. So it's hard for them to you know, get out as much as they should. But I, for five hours a day, I walked the plant listening, talking. I did not make decisions that would screw up the line. But boy, I sure had a lot of questions. Well, we get back and sit down with, with the rest of the folks. So we can just walk out among the people sit down and have a good heart-to-heart -heart conversation and talk with them, not at them. We do a lot of mm -hmm. talking at people. Yeah. We sit down and talk with people. You know, how can I help? What's going on? What do you see? Um, Richard, what you sound like you were able to do was to free yourself from the traditional perspective of safety and what the safety professional is supposed to care about and you cared about the human side of safety and connecting. And it also sounds like you totally recognize if people are engaged and feel valued, they perform more physically safety too. Well, and it, I think that's it, fabulous. That changes. Organizations yeah. change one conversation at a time. The Berlin Wall came down because of millions of conversations on street corners and kitchens and bars and one day somebody went out with no big safety conference, anything with a sledgehammer and knocked it down and nobody mm -hmm. shot him. And then everybody came. That's right. That's yeah. what happened. And as it builds up <clears throat> like sand in a pile, it builds up and then it begins to change right away. That's a great I, analogy. I, I, I think Jim had his hand. Yeah, I think Jim had his hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I see Bob down there too. I, yeah. I wanted to agree with Richard. I, I, definitely think that that method is is very effective there's a premise that we haven't spoken to inherent in that and you mentioned it are we learning and uh, if the system is designed with an expectation that we've already thought about everything just follow the procedures you don't have room for that question are we learning uh, and so there's an underlying aspect there that we need to be careful to be cognizant of. And, and that is, have we allowed for the adaptation that humans provide? Because we know that our systems aren't perfect. And are we really valuing the input of the people versus assuming that the systems are gonna take care of everything and the people can clean up a couple of loose ends? 
And if, if your organization is communicating that your system is great, just follow it, doesn't matter how you go out and interact with people. On the other hand, if you are communicating that we've done the best we can, but we know that that last 2% or 5% or 10% is counting on the expertise of the people, and then we're out there reinforcing the need to learn, then we're bringing this all together. Right on, Jen. Bob, Bob also, I believe, had something to say. Yes, thank you. I, uh, I just thought uh, it was important to pull a couple of thoughts together here. I heard uh, sort of the discussion about us taking our responsibility for our own well-being, uh, which, uh, you know, certainly goes hand in hand with uh, some more traditional thoughts around safety. And, and that is, you know, again, some, some of the other uh, challenges of a workplace aside, employees understanding, you know, the risks that they may be exposed to and how to protect themselves, and most importantly, taking those actions to protect themselves, assuming they've been provided the resources and the training and the education, that's a really important fundamental concept. Uh, but likewise, you know, when we as a safety leader are healthy, our well-being is, uh, you know, where we want it to be, we can be great mentors to the operators that we support. And I've seen that in three very, very large organizations that I've been associated with in my career. You know, we like to think that these leaders, sometimes senior and executive leaders, have it all together. Otherwise, how could they be where they are? But they, they don't just arrive with that knowledge and experience. Some have never had a serious injury in their entire uh, working career. And, uh, you know, that's where we can come alongside and say, look, you know, yes, this is, a, this is a bad situation. We're going to get through it together. I'm going to show you how and, you know, take over if you need me to. But, uh, you know, we can do this together. And I don't think that a safety professional or technician can do that if they themselves kind of aren't where they need to be health and wellness wise. Mm -hmm. work-life balance right yeah. these are challenging yeah. situations yeah. and yeah. Uh, to, to be able to do that has you know almost nothing to do with OSHA codes and ANSI standards or the rest it's just about being people and yeah. coming alongside these leaders no matter how senior they may be uh, still is about a, an interaction between two people. And Thank so I, I want to. May I follow up? Well, I, I, I want to also listen to Robin and Nadja before yeah, we go. So can you bring them in about too? Bob. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bob, I, for me, I feel like a broken record, uh, but I have to say it again because I, I so agree with what you're saying, and that uh, that sense that we can help the executive find their center comes from us being well and centered ourselves. That is number one. You know, your own sense of presence, your own sense of confidence and own sense of self-esteem that you could actually, because we, we have to have a little bit of compassion here. Uh, we have all of this knowledge and we've had all this contact with employees that they don't have. And one of the main reasons that they do not uh, jump in to do anything, or you say they don't respond, you know, to the information is because they don't know what to do. They, they just don't know what to do. And you can come in and say things like what Richard was saying. Well, you know, 
try this, you know, collect the stories, go out, have a cup of coffee. So that would be our role from my experience. And not everybody's going to do it or listen, uh, but they, they will, um, some will, some will, and we will be able to make a difference that way. So I just wanted to respond to Bob's because I, I like that sense of, I have value, I have something to offer that's in their blind spot. I mean, that's why they hired us because they have, they know they have a blind spot. So uh, tomorrow I will turn it over. Robin, please invite Robin in. Where is Robin? Oh, there you are. Well, I'm here. Yes, so two things kind of resonated with me. Uh, something Richard said and something Bob said. <clears throat> Richard, I was in, I actually worked for General Electric, so I know what you're talking about. You know, General Electric was a huge meritocracy and it was the meritocracy in my opinion, that destroyed the company. Uh, it makes or results in every employee being a unitary agent within the organization and teamwork suffers as a consequence of that. It doesn't suffer in the sense of <clears throat> what you see as an external observer, you see all kinds of teamwork going on, but mentally in the heads of each individual, they know that their purpose in life at General Electric is to outcompete their peers, okay? Uh, secondly, what Bob said uh, is kind of matched up with what I've been thinking the whole time. I'm not a safety professional. I'm actually uh, more of a quality professional, but we kind of deal with the same role issues as quality professionals that you do as safety professionals in that we're constantly trying to find what our role is in the organization and how we can best serve the organization. And from my standpoint, safety professionals are actually better positioned than quality professionals to stake out their own role. And what I've advised quality people in the past is there's, there's two personal skills you need to obtain and do whatever you need to do to obtain it. One is you need to get the best facilitation skill set that you can possibly get. And the other one is communications. You have to be a fantastic communicator. And if, you know, in an organization in which there's a high degree of, of stress in the workforce, uh, the best situation you can put yourself in as a safety professional, in my opinion, is to assist management in communication and transparency and making sure that uh, you're breaking down uh, the organizational factors that are uh, maintaining that stress, putting rumors to rest, making sure that the workforce knows the path ahead, make sure that workforce knows about the challenges that the organization is having to deal with and, and get it out of the area of rumor. You know, there's, there's this tightly held belief in top management, on top, top management leadership teams, that they need to, to hold all this stuff internal to themselves and not share it. And a workforce that's under a great deal of stress is gonna be a workforce that's gonna have higher accident rates, more consequential events occurring that are gonna impact the operations and things of that nature. So I kind of see the safety, the, the, the quintessential invaluable safety professional as someone who is an internal catalyst for the organization that can break down all of those elements in the organization that are 
that are causing the problems, okay? And you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to have power, but you have to have referent influence. You have to develop a reputation internally organization as someone there who is invaluable and is there assisting. And if you can't get access to the top leadership, because quite frankly, the top leadership doesn't get it, right? And we've all been there. Then I go back into my military background and what I pull out is go out and find who the natural leaders are in the organization. The people that the new, new people the organization look up to and learn from and seek out for mentorship and facilitate their ability to lead in the organization. So be that, be that facilitation agent, be that person who can consult on communication. It's not about you. It's about recognizing the natural leaders or the organizational leaders themselves and helping them to perform at a high level uh, in order to ensure that the organization has all the necessary factors to establish human relationships internally, you know, mental safety, uh, psychological safety, those things all directly impact the industrial KPIs that safety professionals get themselves bogged down on. And, and that's all I'll say about that. That was great, Robin. Thank you. We're at a little after the hour and we want to yeah. honor the time of everyone. Um, I, I'm just going to say my goodbye and then tomorrow I'll turn it over to you. I really appreciate um, having this discussion. We could spend three hours on it. I mean, we were so up here and it would have been great to dive into how do we actually help build uh, well-being uh, for everyone, but another session. So thank you for joining today. Tomorrow. Wait a minute, Rosa, did you want to say something? I just, yeah, just if everybody has uh, like three more minutes, I, I just am curious whether anybody heard something today that moved the needle for them. I'd also like to give uh, Nadja an opportunity to speak because it's, yeah. Yay. Yes, I will be very brief. Greetings from Finland. Uh, it's so nice to listen to this discussion. Um, I connect very much to the, to the things that um, all of you said. And uh, um, I was just thinking about this um, whole person, the full person, and uh, the need to be curious to, the, to us as people and not that much necessarily as experts. And this is something that takes energy and time and uh, curiosity. And uh, it really, it is really something that we as safety professionals have the, have the how can I say, capacity to, to do that. Yeah. So thank you so much. It's a great discussion. Thank you, Nadia. For coming from Finland, all the way from Finland. Yeah. <laughs> you must be tired. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we just connected uh, recently with Lisa. I know, yes. I'm so happy. Yeah. So I know that we are seven minutes over, but before we depart, did anybody have anything that they really wanted to share with the group before we leave today? Just raise your hand so we know which order. Okay, Gary. Yeah, just want to know that um, I've been following the chat and there's a whole bunch of cool links on there. So somehow, I, I assume tomorrow you're going to capture those so we can just have them available. Yeah, 
Yeah, Great. I'll Thank put you. them on um, the episode page like I have been lately, putting yeah. the chats there. Um, I also, Gary, wanted to connect with you and see if maybe we can get the author of that book for our next um, uh, meet the author session. So I'll connect back with you on that. Um, sure. Yeah. Gary is my new co-host, it seems, for that show. <laughs> um, Tanya, did I see your hand go up, but you have a virtual screen or? I guess the only thing that I would offer is that this we're, a lot of what we're talking about is our Western culture. So I think we can start to question who we value as heroes who we see as villains and why we do that. If we can start to be asking ourselves these types of questions, we might be getting to the heart of, you know, some of the deeper things that, that are going on. And I think, Tanya, what you're pointing out there about, like, a lot of us are looking at this from Western culture. And so our experience in the workplace is going to be very different than somebody who's in different places in the world. Because I know when I talk to people from Australia, they have very different, um, they, they come at their, their work sites very differently than we do here in Canada. I've experienced that too, Tamara. And I like uh, Robin's comment that we value the Marlboro Man. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Our hero. <laughs> I wanted to compliment I think it was Robin that mentioned the uh, catalyst that the safety professional can be. And uh, in, in my experience, helping folks realize the potential to interact across organizational boundaries in ways that engage those active questioning um, interactions towards learning, invaluable. And the, the safety professional being able to work across those organizational boundaries and help those conversations occur makes a really big difference, not in just the technical outcomes of the organization, but also in the relationship building. So I, I think that's a really good point. Thank you, absolutely. Great point to end our session on. So thank you everybody for joining us. And we do have a meet the author coming up on the 20th. And so I'm in the process of looking up for an author right now. So if you have somebody that you would like, I'm gonna hit Gary up for his suggestion with the book, but I'm open to ideas also. And if it's not this one, they could be invited for the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.